0: Hello, welcome to the Agriculture Podcast. I am your host, Mason Zink, and today we're going to be talking about agriculture policies. Now, agricultural policies are predetermined goals, objectives, and pathways set by an individual or government for the purpose of achieving a specified outcome for the benefit of the individuals of society and the nation's economy at large. So, agricultural policies are just policies that affect agriculture in a good or bad way usually they're good but some of them are bad now the office of agricultural policy the agp boosts economic prosperity for american farmers and ranchers by opening foreign markets to american farm products promoting transparent predictable, and science-based regulatory systems overseas and reducing unnecessary barriers to trade around the world As part of our commitment to ensuring customer safety and the success of the American agricultural sector, AGP protects human and animal health health by advancing international discussions on food safety. Our work on global food security supports U.S. national security through programs like Feed the Future. AGP also coordinates with other U.S. agencies to ensure humanitarian food Assistance is targeted, efficient, and effective. AGP advances U.S. trade and food security interests by opening world markets for trade and food commodities like wheat, soybean, and corn, challenging unfair barriers of agricultural trade, making regulatory systems more transparent and science based, pushing for greater harm- harmonization and consistency in international food safety standards and coordinating international response to emergency situations through le- through leadership of the Food Assistance Conven- Convention. So those are just a few examples and just an overview of agricultural policy by the USDA itself. Now, another t- important topic are... Uh, U.S. agricultural policy, often simply called farm policy, generally follows a five year legislative cycle that produces a wide ranging farm bill. Farm bills, or farm acts, govern program, programs to, related to farming, food and nutrition, and rural communities, as well as aspects of bioenergy and forestry. The most recent of these farm bills, the Agricultural Improvement Act of 2018, authorizes policies in the areas of commodity programs and crop insurance, conservation on agricultural lands, agricultural trade, including foreign food assistance, nutrition, primarily food domestic assistance, farm credit, rural economic development, agricultural research, state and private forestry, bioenergy, horn culture, and organic agriculture. The the 2018 Farm Bill replaces the 2014 Farm Bill in place, from twenty fourteen to twenty eighteen. A general overview of the farm bill can be found online if you want to see that, but I will not go through that. I might. But further details on crop uh commodity and policy crop insurances will be talked about in this pod in this podcast. So yeah, let's get on to it. The U.S. Farm Bill modifies standing legislation across the full range of policy that it governs, which, which can vary from farm bill to farm bill. Depending on the policy concerns at the time, in some cases particularly for commodity, conservation, and rural development programs, new bills extend, revise, or replace provisions in previous farm bills. In other cases, provisions of new farm bills of new farm bills extend, revise or replace language and laws regulating areas that overlap the farm bill authorities, including food and nutrition, food safety, trade, credit, ex- research and extension, forestry, food safety, organic production organic production, pesticides, and crop insurance. In all cases, provisions and previous provisions of previous and Related legislation not altered by a new farm bill remain in place. As a result, some programs and regulations affecting U.S. food and agricultural policy may be governed by legislation other than the current the current U.S. farm bill. Researchers examine the air, arena of food and agricultural policy across a broad spectrum of topics. For access to the scope of work, visitors are encouraged encouraged to search the guides. To ERS topic page, uh, topic pages in areas related to their policy interests listed below, and the ERS is the Economic Research Service of the USDA. You can find it on their website if you want to see this article I'm reading from, or just anything in general. Most of my articles that I read from in the in the podcast are from the USDA website, but there are some that are not. Now, there is animal products includes. Material on regulatory policies and milk marketing orders. Crops includes material on regulated policies, including marketed or marketing orders and bioenergy. Farm income includes material on federal tax policy. Food and nutrition services or food and nutrition assistance includes material on food and nutrition assistance policy beyond the farm bill. Food choices and health includes research on labeling. Food markets and prices includes research on local foods. Food safety includes material on information and regulatory policies. And rural economy and populations includes material on rural development policy beyond the Farm Bill. Now, the U.S. reports to the World Trade Organization, the WTO, and the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, about domestic agricultural support, yeah, about domestic agricultural support. The United States is obligated to report on spending domestic agricultural support to the WTO each year. These notifications allow the WTO Committee on agricultural, Agriculture to track levels and, and types of domestic support provided by members to their agricultural sectors. And to determine whether that spending remains within agreed limits. As a member of the OECD, the United States particip- participates in the organization annual agricultural policy reform monitoring and evaluation exercise. Using data and policy details supplied by the United States, the OECD develops the producer support estimate, the PSE, and related Measures that allow comparison of government support to agricultural across a member across member countries in selected non-member countries. So that's just an overview of some agricultural policies and some farm bills. Okay, now here is an article by the. US Department of State called "Agricultural Policy is Health Policy. Now, America is in the grip of a fearsome epidemic. It is an epidemic largely out of the hands of doctors, nurses, and scientists. It is the crush of chronic disease highlighted by an epidemic of overweight and obesity. Causing costs of healthy food and an overall decline in American fitness fitness make this epidemic even more troubling. Efforts by health leaders to improve eating habits and encourage exercise have barely moved the scales. Overwhelmed by the challenge, increasing numbers of Americans have find, have found uh, lap band surgery more viable options than improving their diets. A raid against their efforts is a far larger force, and that makes unhealthy foods too tasty, cheap, and abundant to resist. This mega force is U.S. foreign policy. How does legislation that determines... What happens on distant farms affect our bodies and families. We argue that U.S. farm policy has created a food system that damages our health, environment, and national security. Much of the U.S. farm policy is driven by a complex piece of federal legislation passed by Congress every five to seven years called the Farm Bill. Its most recent inter- Interactions interactions, are the Farm Security and Rural Investment Act of 2002 of the Food Conservation of and Energy Act of 2008. The Farm Bill is scheduled to be renewed in 2012, which already passed, and, pres- and presents a remarkable opportunity to shape our food system and our health for generations to come. What we grow, what we eat, who we profit, the long-term availability of food, and environmental repercussions that will be affected by the provisions of the Farm Bill. The Farm Bill was envisionized to supplement farm incomes, ensure a stable food supply, and in, and support the American farm economy. Instead, it subsidizes the production of cheap fats, sugars, and oils that fuel obesity. Uh, Creates profit for food processors and corporate farmers that supports agricultural practices that damage the environment with long-term consequences for our health. The upcoming Farm Bill reauthorization requires that those concerned about health and well-being become involved in this issue and demand not only good economic policy, but also sound public, but also sound health policy. Fruits and vegetables are good for us. They lower incidence and mortality of most common chronic diseases in America. Yet less than 4% of total cropland in 2004 was planted with fruits and vegetables. What is happening with the rest of our farmland? These acres are dominated by the eight commodity crops, corn, wheat, cotton, soybeans, rice, barley, oats, and sorghum. Why is this the case? Well... I would like to point out that I don't really kind of agree with that sentence. Cause you know, we live off those things yet fruit, fruits and vegetables are important and we should get a little more than the others, but we still need cotton cause you know, the shirts and stuff, uh, and like corn cause it's good soy. Cause you know, the vegans are complaining about like murdering cows and they use soy for their, for all their stuff. So, you know, uh, yeah for the vegans farmers crop choices are influenced by a portion of the farm bill that rewards certain crops over others government agricultural policies extend from the 1930s when federal policymakers passed laws to create price stability and ensure the long-term economic value availability of farming particularly for family farmers But in the 1970s, farm policy shifted away from maintaining stable prices to maintaining low prices and maximizing production of certain commodity crops that could be bought and sold on on the international market. Direct payments were established to encourage competition and increase production, thereby lowering the price of these commodities. Farmers rely on government payments for economic stability. So they plant the crops that farm policy encourages encourages them to grow. 70 to 80% of all farmland subsidizes sub, sub, sub subsidies, I don't know how to pronounce that, are directed towards the eight commodity crops which all to, which altogether cover 74% of US cropland. Uh, Farmers growing specialty crops, such as fruits and vegetables, are not eligible for direct subsidies and are penalized if they have received federal farm payments for other crops. In addition, large farms, which only make up 7% of the total, receive 45% of all federal payments. Meanwhile, small small farms, which are 76% of the total, receive just 14% of payments. The end result is a... Government-structured food supply that heavily favors just few crops corn by large-scale farming operations to fail the sa- to fail that to satisfy the healthy dietary needs of Americans. Current subsidies provide a critical safety net to family farmers, but food processors are among those who gain the most from government payments. Processors have profited from the com- conversion. Conversation of these subsidies, commodities processed into commodities into processed foods sold at even higher, ever higher prices, despite lower nutrition content. Between nineteen eighty and two thousand, consumer food ex, something in the U.S. uh, increased two and a half times to one hundred sixty-one million while the farm value of these foods increased only one and a half times. During this period, the the portion of each food dollar went to farmers dropped from 31% to 19%, meaning that 81 81 cents of every dollar spent on food in 2000 went to non-farm related activities, including labor, packaging, transportation, and marketing. Our food system provides greater, greater rewards to those who process, market, and distribute food to those who actually grow it. Food processors, with proportionally more of their funds available for marketing, have been successful at creating new foods with desirable characteristics, low-cost, convenience, high energy density, and appealing taste. With additional support of government-sponsored product and processing research at land-grant universities, these innovations use cheap agricultural inputs to make tastier and longer-lasting foods with higher profit margins, processed foods dominate supermarket sales. And simultaneously, the consumption of added fats and sugars have increased. Americans are eating more food, most of which is unhealthy. Between 1970 and 2000, the average consumption per person of added fats increased 38 percent, and average consumption of, ad- of added sugars increased 20 percent. Researchers estimate that if we acted rationally and in our best interests. The average person over the age of four would consume about 2,350 calories a day. Yet our food supply makes available 3,800 calories per person per day. The price of fresh fruits and vegetables has increased 118% from 1985 to 2000, yet the price of fats and oils increased only 35%. Consumers are price sensitive, such that even small changes in price of healthy foods affect their consumption. So basically that just says, you know, they ask for more for the uh, fruits and stuff because no one buys them and that's the only way for them to make uh, money. So the only way for them to make money is to uh, raise the price. Not surprisingly, when ingredients are cheap, producers also compete by increasing portion sizes, like increasing portion sizes. The cost of the food itself is small relative to the price of preparing, packaging, shipping, and advertising. So the cost of increasing portion size is small relative to the perceived value of large sizes. Cheap food inputs make it possible for food retailers to double the calories in an item while selling it for only cents more. Profitable strategy offers consumers short-term bargains but staggeringly long-term costs. While $21 billion were spent under the Farm Bill, to support commodity crop commodity production in 2005, Americans are spending $147 billion a year on obesity related illnesses, not to, not to mention the cost of time, productivity, and quality of life lost. Foodborne pathogens cause approximately 76 million illnesses, 325,000 hospitalizations, and 5,000 deaths in the United States each year. This too is related to the Farm Bill. Current U.S. farm policies encourage a system that is both highly centralized and relies on large amounts of imported foods. American food travels through several stages and many miles as it journeys from farm to table. Each link presents an opportunity for food contamination, poorly monitored food imports, the threat of agro-terrorism, and our system of highly centralized food production and the safety from our food system at risk. That's Cap. Well, some of that was, but some of it wasn't. Although foodborne pathogens most often affect raw foods of animal origin, the 2006 E-something coli out- spinach outbreak demonstrates the vulnerability of our entire food system to contamination. Despite comprehensive of food safety regulations and constant food sanitation surveillance nationwide, a batch of contaminated fresh spinach from a single farm in Mont- Monterey County, California, infected 205... 205- persons across at least 26 states in a two-month period. The outbreak resulted in 112, 102 hospitalizations and three, death, three deaths. How does contaminated spinach from one farm affect people from all over the country? Spinach from tra- California travels the country as a result of the large-scale centralized production and dis- distribution of our food. When American farm policy changed in the 1970s to encourage low prices and competition between farmers, many went out of business. Farmers who survived were the ones who successfully increased their overall size and their investment in technology. Since 1900, the number of farms has fallen 63% and the number of farms has increased 67%. Sorry about that, my alarm went off. Spinach from California travels the country as a result of the large-scale centralized production and distribution of our food. When American farm policy changed in the 1970s to encourage low prices and competition between farmers, many went out of business. Farmers who survived were the ones who successfully increased their overall size and their investment in technology. Since 1900, the number of farms has fallen 63%, and the number of farms has increased 67%. Sorry about that, my alarm went off. To reduce costs, large-scale farmers typically use highly centralized and mechanized production practices, including confined animal feedlot operations, CAFOs, and monocultures. Although those me- these methods are efficient, they create conditions that put plants and animals at risk of disease and microbi- microbiome contamination, and harm and harm the environment. Microculture techniques inc- increase the risk of crop disease and, despite nutrients in soil, requiring the use of artificial fertilizers that which evaporate. Descend as, as which evaporate and descend as acid rain, contaminate the water supply and contribute to global warming. To prevent rapid growth, cli- cattle are frequently fattened with large quantities of grains that change the acidity and their digestive system, making more vulnerable to pathogenic strains of e. Coil- e. coli. That is cap. Increased shedding of such pathogens are waste. In animal waste occurs with the decline of an animal in, a, in the state of an animal's health and can increase in its stress levels, both of which are extra, extravagated and in CAFOs, inadequate manure treatment, contamination of nearby fields and, and water and contamination of slaughtered livestock are frequently suspected sources of contaminated foods. To maintain the animal's health, many producers dose the animals with antibiotics, a practice practice that poses its own set of problems. That is cap. Like, this article has evidence and everything, but I, like, so badly want to, like, prove some of their points wrong. Like, I can't do it right now because I don't have the evidence and it wouldn't be really valid, but some of their stuff is not really that accurate or they're just not showing the whole picture. Centralization also creates large distribution channels through which contaminated foods may easily spread without aggressive vigilance. Though centralization may take detection of contaminated foods easier, potentially more individuals are at, re- are at risk if contamination goes undetected. The consequences of a breach in food safety are much greater in this type of system. It is illustrated by the recent salmonella-tainted peanut butter scare, the, with sickened, with sickened, which sickened hundreds of people and caused several deaths but and put the Peanut Butter Corporation of America out of business. Smaller, more isolated food systems are inherently less valuable to large-scale communication. A highly centralized structure also increased the risks of harm from deliberate attacks. Biological agents introduced undetected into the system could result in a major distribution of our food supply. In addition, high-speed automated methods of slaughtering and food processing make, combination of, of, make contamination both more likely and more difficult to detect. New threats to food safety have also arisen from global food trade. In 2007, Food and Drug Administration officials divided Advised consumers to discard toothpaste manufactured in China after discovering it contained ethylene glycol, a chemical agent used in antifreeze. In China, that toxic ingredient is found in has found its way to milk infant formula and pet food, s- sickening 294,000 children and causing at least six deaths. Ingredients entering the U.S. from more than 100 countries with the dollar value doubling over the past decade to $100 billion in 2016. Once the ingredients are incorporated into processed foods, it is difficult and often impossible to trace them back to their source. As American food policies encourage the production of few crops and rely heavily on global imports for the rest, more cases of contamination are likely without aggressive police, policing and controls. Farm policies encouraging mass production have resulted in high, in highly... Centralized farm practices that are more likely to result in environmental degradation. For example, fossil fuels are used to manufacture and transport fertilizer and pesticides over long distances. That's called gas. The raw and then finished products are then further transported, often back to their original locations. Source water is also transported for agricultural use, and used water is commonly contaminated by chemical fertilizers, and pesticides with, with resulting downstream dead zones. Ground and surface waters can also be polluted by antibiotics from CAFOs and antibiotic-resistant bacteria. The soil is de- depleted through overuse and lack of crop rotation. CAFOs generate enormous amounts of weights in air pollution. They are perhaps the most... They're the biggest, let's say, example of environmental degradation extirpated by U.S. farm policies. This article has a lot of big words I don't know. The savings to to large livestock producers feeding their animals cheap, subsidized grains have driven down the prices of meats, resulting in consolidation of livestock operations. Diversified farms using their own farm products and labor to raise livestock are unable to Im- compete with concentrated livestock industries that benefit from cheap inputs and economics of economies of scale without regard to resulting environmental damage. Okay, now some of this, some of that makes sense and that some of that's actually true. CAFOs lack sewage treatment plants, yet because a pig produces about four times as much solid waste as a human, a typical CAFO, 500, a CAFO of five hundred swine produces the waste equivalent of a city to 20,000 20, people. This waste is expensive to transport, store, and dispose. Storage pit for livestock or poultry manure can leak. Manure can leak into groundwater and streams. Such pits become even more problematic if sited in a flood plant in a floodplain or below the water table. CAFOs generally produce more waste than, than can be used on nearby fe- fields as fertilizer. Levels of phosphorus and nitrogen in the waste often exceed what the crops can utilize and or the soil can retain. Correspondingly, excess, nu- excess nutrients contaminate surface waters and streams, causing algal au- overgrowth in nearby bodies nearby water bodies that can devastate underwater ecological systems. Many feed ingredients used in CAFOs pass directly through the the animal into manure, including heavy metals such as arsenic, antibiotics, nitrogen, and phosphorus. The manure contains dust, mold, pathogenic bacteria, and bacterial, bacterial endotoxins that contaminate air and water. Generally accepted livestock waste management practices do not adequately or effect, effectively protect water resources from contamination with excess excessive nutrients, microbiome pathogens, and pharmaceuticals present in the waste. In conclusion, unhealthy people in unhealthy places cannot produce healthy food. The health community has the responsibility to assure the conditions in which people can be healthy. The Means of Getting involved with Agricultural Policy to Influence a Better Food Supply. I have a couple issues with this article. So, they act like everything agriculture does is terrible. They're displaying agriculture as the bad guy. Like, agriculture is... It says, agriculture is health policy. So... It's saying agriculture is a danger to our health, which in some ways it is. So they pointed out some really good points like the phosphorus and stuff. Like you can't really control that. You can use all natural fertilizers and pesticides and everything, which would be a better alternative. But that's expensive to make because you got to get all that stuff. But it does help with all that stuff. But so is it worth it? I think it is. I think that's one thing that uh, farmers and people can do to help with this issue that they're talking about. Also, agriculture, as I talked about in my first episode, agriculture is important. Like Half the stuff that these people own has been made from agriculture. The clothes they were wearing when they wrote this article were from agriculture. They're saying that agriculture is the bad guy. That agriculture is ruining the lives of Americans and everything. That's not true. Okay, that's enough of me rambling. That's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed. Make sure to subscribe and hit like wherever you're watching this podcast, either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you're listening to this. It's pretty much available anywhere at this point. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure to click that like button and subscribe and. I'm acting like this is a YouTube channel, but make sure to like, and, uh, tune in for my next episode on Thursday, or maybe tomorrow or Thursday, I will publish another episode. So hope you guys have a good rest of your day and I'll see you next episode. Bye.